Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn, and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people-first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Hey, Gut Plus Science peeps, here's the deal. I thrive off of excitement, and today's episode is exciting. As you see, this episode is dropping on a Tuesday because this is different. We're expanding Gut Plus Science into the healthcare industry for a specific sub-series to impact employee engagement in healthcare. Why? Well, because they need us. Healthcare with or without COVID-19 needs huge support to help the frontline workers that care for our lives to feel seen, heard, and valued. Together with Wambi, we will bring you the best influencers and leaders in healthcare to share best practices, stories, and lessons to build stronger, people-first healthcare institutions where the employees love their work and bring the highest, greatest level of patient engagement and patient experience. We're launching with Secretary David Shulkin, Ninth Secretary, U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. David will mentor us today. He's talking about his experiences with leading and being led in healthcare. So let's dive in. I was going to ask you, David, to share your greatest learnings or experiences with regards to your direct leaders in your life. And I hear you had an interesting start in your career. And then most recently, your last leader, there's a story there. This is such an important subject. You know, I felt fortunate throughout my career to have worked for some really great people. And there's probably not a boss that I worked for that I didn't learn something. My first boss, who was at the University of Pennsylvania, he was a guy with strong vision and beliefs. And so he would set goals for the organization that at first seemed impossible to get to. But by staying true to those goals and those principles, uh, we accomplished great things. And so What I learned was that it's really important to have a strong vision and to articulate it, but that everybody on the team who believes in the mission and wants to contribute is not going to be contributing at the same pace and in the same way. And having greater tolerance for people as they move along and contribute, I think, is an important learning that I took away. My last boss was very, very different. Uh, He's a boss that probably many of your listeners know. It was Donald Trump. I worked directly for President Trump. I also had worked for President Obama. Those two presidents were very different styles. President Trump, he is a person and a leadership style that clearly lets you know where he wants to go. It's you usually don't leave a conversation without understanding his point of view and his perspective, but he allows the individual to create the way to get there and to fill in the details of the plan. President Trump is not a person who's analysis rich. He is more of a person who has a gut feel for what he wants to do. And that actually was very interesting. I've never had a boss quite like that. I doubt many people have, but it allowed me to get a great deal done for the Department of Veteran Affairs and for the country's veterans because knowing where he wanted to go and knowing that if you came in with a clear point of view, a clear plan, were willing to stand up for what you believed in and pushed back when he pushed back. I was able to accomplish a great deal. We got 11 major bills through Congress, all in a bipartisan way, and accomplished a great deal to improve and evolve the Department of Veteran Affairs during a relatively short period of time. So 
very, very different styles, very interesting bosses. And I just encourage all of your listeners to understand that as their relationships develop with their bosses and their leaders in their organizations, to be consciously thinking about what are the things that I want to incorporate in my own leadership style and what are the things that I don't want to incorporate in my leadership style that I see from the leaders, because that's the way that you develop your own point of view and your own perspective on leadership. Mm. David, you've worked in a number of organizations over your time. What have you learned about workplace culture? I really feel fortunate to have started my work experience in an environment that stood for excellence. And I remember the feeling going into work every day saying that my job is to create a world-class product. It's not to come in and to be as good as the competitors. It's to be better. It's to create new knowledge, to break through problems that others haven't broken through. And, And once you taste what it feels like to be in an environment that is driving for excellence, it's something that never leaves you. It's something that you always have a thirst for and that you always want to try to recreate. In every environment that I've gone to, I fall back upon that foundational experience. How do you feel about the longstanding statistics that about 70% of our employees are not engaged in the work that they're doing? Yeah, I think this is one of the biggest challenges that leaders have, that if a leader is not able to engage and to motivate the workforce, that no matter what they're trying to do, whether it's a customer product, whether it's a service that they're delivering, they're not going to get the results that they hope for their company or their organization. The number one reason why people leave jobs is not because of the financial compensation. It's because of their relationship with their boss and whether the boss is viewed as respecting them, of valuing them, of encouraging their own professional development, of spending time to explain why decisions are being made and to listen to people before those decisions are being made. The leader's job is to make sure that they are communicating in a way and accepting feedback in a way that involves the people that they work with. And that really is something that takes a very uh, deliberate approach as a leader to understand and to effectively implement in their own work environment. Mm. I want to shift on to change and organizational change. Can you illustrate excellence in leading change organizationally? Maybe I'll use an example most recently from the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. And being a doctor and being the leader of the country's largest organization caring for veterans, I was acutely aware that we had made some great breakthroughs in science, in being able to treat hepatitis C. There are now new medications out there that can cure hepatitis C, which previously had been incurable, but these medications can cure people at a 96, 97% rate so that they never have the, the disease anymore. And that can prevent liver failure and death and the need for liver transplantation. So uh, I asked the question when I was the secretary, how many veterans in our system have hepatitis C? So as a leader of the organization, I went out publicly and I said, we are going to end 
hepatitis C among all veterans in this country. And that was quite a shock because we didn't have the budget to do it. We didn't have the manpower to do it. We didn't have a plan necessarily to do it. So after I announced that that was our goal, I went to Congress and I said, this is what we're going to do. And they, of course, supported it. And I said, all I need now from you is is $1.5 billion to be able to pay for the drug and the program to get it implemented. And Congress gave me $1.5 billion. I then went to the workforce and I said, we're going to have to organize to be able to reach out to all veterans and call them and contact them and let them know that we have a program that can help cure their disease. And the workforce did that. And then I went to our leaders and I said, we need to organize programs so that we can get people to work together to implement a program to deliver these medications and to track the results. And the medical centers around the country organize those programs. So we've largely cured an entire population and saved a lot of lives by setting a goal that people didn't think necessarily was possible, but the organization was able to accomplish that in a great way. And so I hope that other leaders around the country think about what goals are going to be impactful, set those goals, explain it to their organizations, and then provide them the support that they need to be able to accomplish that. What is your formula to building highly engaged and productive teams, especially in a healthcare setting? Well, um, during my career as a physician, when you're in medical school, or at least when I was in medical school, The model was that the physician is in charge. The physician is the captain of the ship. And all throughout my career, as I began to start taking care of patients, I began to really understand that that's not the way that we can accomplish the best results for our patients, that this is really a complete team effort, that it takes everybody in order to be able to accomplish the goals that we're looking for in healthcare. And so working and understanding the value of the nurses, the pharmacists, the psychologists, the social workers, the people who keep the environment clean, the laboratory workers, that's really the way that I now view my role in healthcare, which is to be part of that team and to be helping contribute towards the ultimate outcome of, of patient care. Everybody contributing at the top of their experience level, I think, provides an efficient experience, but also a better outcome. This type of team-based approach, I think, is so important. Here's a a big, broad question, maybe, uh, but given the coronavirus epidemic, from your lens, what changes are you seeing in healthcare, and what thoughts do you have for healthcare's future? Well, I'm very excited about the future of healthcare. As we talk, you know, we're in a worldwide pandemic with the COVID virus that you can see that despite everything that prior to this pandemic seemed like it was so important, you know, people's jobs and the economics and people being able to pursue their travel interests and, and uh, you know, have their freedoms, all that can be taken away easily when the health of a community, the health of the world is at stake because people's health and the viability of, of, you know, communities really takes precedent over everything else. I am 
very, very optimistic. And so I look towards a better understanding of people's genomics and what we now call personalized medicine, the use of technology to help us do this job better, like the way that we're seeing telehealth being applied much more rapidly in this current pandemic where we don't want people coming into hospitals and doctor's offices, the use of artificial intelligence or machine learning to help us wade through the vast amount of scientific information and literature out there to find new discoveries like discoveries that could be effective in the treatment of COVID-19, the use of predictive analytics in healthcare so that we can project out what our needs are, again, in this pandemic, so that we can adequately plan for the number of hospital beds and ventilators and staff needed. So all of these tools that are now just in their early phases of being implemented in healthcare, you can see how important they're going to be, not only for us to get through our current health crisis, but how important they're going to be for us to address the future health issues and hopefully prevent uh, issues like what we're seeing now from being as severe. I'm so intrigued by so many of your thoughts. I bet a lot of our listeners are. Could you tell us just a little bit about the book that you recently wrote? Yeah, I've spent most of my career in the private sector. And then uh, about five years ago from a call from the White House, uh, ended up entering government to help the VA at a time of crisis, national crisis. And I felt very much that it was a responsibility that I had as a citizen. And so I wrote a book, it's called, It Shouldn't Be This Hard to Serve Your Country, really for two reasons. One is, is that I became really a strong believer that our VA healthcare system and what it gives back to our veterans is so important to keep our commitment that we made as a country. The second reason why I wrote the book was to share my personal experiences of being in government, which quite frankly um, were extremely personally meaningful, but at times very, very painful for both me and my family. The environment that we see in Washington today, which is so partisan, and so politically charged is a very hard environment to go and to focus on the real work of government. That is to help provide services for people who need the help of government. And while I was focused very much in a bipartisan way, I was the only member of the Trump cabinet who had worked in the Obama administration. So I was completely viewed as being bipartisan we need to go back to understanding that government needs to be a place where people can come to contribute their skills and to be able to uh, share what they know to make this a better place for everybody in the country. And so uh, I believe that one of the potential outcomes of this coronavirus crisis is that people will learn about much more what we have in common than what differentiates and sets us apart. And I hope that we end up coming out of this a more united country, a country that's more respectful of each other, a country that recognizes why government is important, that it's got a unique role as we go through situations like this, and that we have to rely upon people who are competent at their jobs and who are really experienced in handling issues like what we're seeing, and that more people will want to go 
like I did out of the private sector to help make government work better. So mm. I think it's a book that really has important lessons. And I hope that people uh, who are interested in leadership take a look at it and see what they can learn from examples that I used in the book. And we'll put a link to buy your book in our show notes. So thank you so much for taking the time to mentor us today. We're going to take just a real quick break here from our sponsor message today and come back and learn a little bit more about the personal side of you as Secretary Shulkin with our lightning round is what we call it. We'll be right back. In our efforts to launch this healthcare sub-series on Gut Plus Science, my why is Wambi. Wambi specializes in serving the industry that needs the most support, love, and gratitude, and that's healthcare. Together with Wambi, we will be building a community of people-first healthcare leaders and influencers to make a big, positive impact on patient satisfaction and overall experience of patients and families, and also engagement of the very valuable healthcare workers in this world. So visit Wambi.org to learn more and hit me up. If you want to talk about the cool partnerships we're working on at Wambi, Nikki and I, K-K-I at Wambi, W-A-M-B-I.org. It'll be in the show notes too. And I am so grateful to be part of this team and part of this movement. Many cool things to come. All right, back on Gut Plus Science with Secretary Shulkin. Really excited to dive into just a couple of personal questions to get to know you a little bit more. So favorite book of all time or one you'd recommend to our leader listener audience, what would it be? Well, um, you know, after after spending two years writing my own book, I think that I think that that's gonna have to be my answer, my book. How about your favorite vacation spot? The woods of Vermont are a place where I grew up and it really is a place that I think about relaxation, but I married a woman who's a beach person. And so either taking a hike in the woods or lying on a beach, I think I think now either one is, is an environment that would be a great vacation for me. How about a favorite hobby when you're not working? I love to create new businesses. I'm an entrepreneur, and so I will sit down and develop ideas for new businesses and uh, create business models. I have drawers full of uh, ideas for new companies and businesses. Some of them I've actually started and others are just sort of my hobbies. And finally, how can our listeners connect with you after the show today, David? I have a website, shulkinsolutions.com. My Twitter is at David Shulkin. And I'm very active on LinkedIn as well. So glad to connect with people and continue the conversation. Secretary Shulkin, thank you for being our champion to launch this initial episode for the healthcare sub-series on Gut Plus Science. Here's my truth you can act on today, guys. Number one, cast a big vision. Keyword, big. Number two, get to know and work with others' pace. Number three, consciously think about how you want to lead. Step back, get out of it, and define how you want to lead. Then step back in and implement. And number four, tap into your people's strengths to maximize their contributions. Great stuff. This episode was loaded. We'll see you in two weeks uh, back. We'll, we'll see you every week on Gut Plus Science, but we'll see you in two weeks back with another episode for the healthcare subseries. We're really excited about it. Drop us a line, Nikki at mondayfire.com. Let us know what you'd like to hear. Let us know what you'd like. I'd love your feedback. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.